Welcome back. This is Brooks Vaughn, and you are listening to Woco Radio, Season 3, Episode 2, Bloating and Constipation. I know y'all are going to love it. Here we go. Um, if you are easily embarrassed, pop some headphones in. <laughs> I'm just teasing. There is no need to be embarrassed by this conversation, guys. Literally every woman Every single woman has dealt with bloating and or constipation at some time throughout her period, her menstrual cycle, throughout her lifetime. We all deal with it at some point or another, some more than others. And let's be honest, women are much more likely to struggle with bloating and constipation than men, and women are way less likely to talk about it. And we're complex humans. Our daily Poops (laughs) really can wax and wane with our hormones, our emotions, our um, diet, exercise, our overall daily routine. And like I said, some women experience bloating, constipation on a higher level than others. Sometimes there are simple lifestyle and diet changes that can make a huge difference. Sometimes bloating and constipation is a chronic problem unresolved by these changes alone. And if that's you, if that is something that you are struggling with, I'd highly encourage you to follow up with your healthcare provider for further evaluation. But if you guys follow the Women's Health Company on Instagram, you know that I am so passionate about whole health, gut health. Our gut health is uniquely and intimately intertwined with so many facets of our health and especially as women, especially with our hormones, which is fascinating. And the more we learn about the gut microbiome, the more it just confirms that everything is intertwined and related. So for the purpose of today's podcast, we are going to dive into common underlying causes of bloating and ways that you can combat this um, at home. Now, we'll cover constipation in our next episode. I was originally going to cover both today, but I honestly just, it's just too much for one episode. And I want this information to be bite sized and easily digestible. No pun intended. So just make sure you stay tuned for the constipation part of this in two weeks because y'all having a regular daily bowel movement is so important. Um, And if you have ever been bloated or constipated, you know how much it impacts your daily life, the way you feel, and even the way your brain works. And there is science behind this. I'm not kidding. Your brain Here's a fun little fact that some of you may know. If you're a patient of mine, I've probably told you this at some point, um, and some of you may not, but there is your brain, more than 95% of your body's serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter that impacts your mood and your emotions, are found in your gut. More than 95%, not your brain. Isn't that interesting? Serotonin, if you think about people who are on antidepressants, the 
first line antidepressants that are available are called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs. And what they do is they impact your by your brain's ability to not soak up so much serotonin so that you have more available for your use to help with you, your mood and your cognition. So there is indeed a brain gut connection, y'all. And this is honestly perhaps a big factor in why women with IBS and Crohn's disease experience higher rates of depression and anxiety. And this is also perhaps why women with chronic depression and anxiety experience a higher rate of GI issues, constipation, bloating, diarrhea, IBS. So if that rings a bell with you, consider focusing on your gut health as a top priority that might also truly impact your mood, and your emotional health. Isn't that fascinating? I do want to share something. I'm sure if you follow us on Instagram, you know I love the Gut Health MD, Dr. B. He is a gastroenterologist based out of Charleston, my, one of my favorite cities on earth. But he he has written a book called Fiber Fueled, and this book is fascinating I would recommend it to anybody on planet Earth, but especially to women who struggle with any sort of GI issues. But he posted something recently, and I just want to read this because this goes along with what we were just talking about. I'm going to read it word for word. It says, health starts in your gut, even your mental health. The gut microbiome is incredibly powerful. We know this. Through research, it has been linked to diseases like Parkinson's and type 2 diabetes. I had a professor, this is a side note, in um, grad school when I was at Vandy who called it diabetes. And I've, I always see diabetes and I, 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 I'm tempted to say diabetes. So it shouldn't come as a surprise, he says, that it has also been linked to major depressive disorder. Psychiatric disorders like depression are complicated and can be triggered by a variety of things, including life events and stressors. But depression can also be triggered by an unbalanced gut microbiota, aka dysbiosis. In fact, one of the ways that major life events can trigger depression is through the damage that they can do to our gut microbes. Depression is often associated with a dysregulated hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. The gut microbiota plays a direct role in determining the programming and reactivity of the HPA, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which can alter ACTH and cortisol levels, another manifestation of the gut-brain axis. It's also possible that the microbiota or microbiota influences the way that the central nervous system functions through signaling molecules, activation of the vagus nerve, and the inflammatory cascade. Alterations in our gut microbiome and the food we eat have the potential to also impact the immune system. All of this to say that if your gut is plugged into your mental health and also your overall health in a number of different ways, and as a result, we should do everything we can to fuel it properly. 
There is so much in the world that we cannot control. Um, hello, pandemic, weather, Twitter, etc. But those things, but what things can we control, especially the things that affect our health? We owe it to ourselves to do everything that we can to live a healthy life. We deserve it. Some doctors have begun recommending a diet shift from those suffering from depression and anxiety. Their advice? Eat more fresh fruits and veggies and fiber. Okay. I mean, that's like a mic drop right there. I could just stop talking because I think that's so powerful and so important. So let's talk, let's get back to bloating. What causes bloating? Now, one thing really quick. Bloating and constipation may not always go hand in hand. Some people may be bloated, but not constipated. Most of the time, though, when you're constipated, you're also feeling pretty bloated. That's why we're going to cover bloating first. So there are a lot of potential causes of bloating. So I probably won't be able to unpack them all. But let's start with some common culprits and some ways to address them. Number one. Uh, we're the women's health company. So, you know, number one is going to be hormones. You, here's the thing about hormones. They, they impact everything. They play such a role in our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, uh, and in bloating and constipation. Higher, here's the thing about hormones. Higher levels of estrogen is a natural cause of water retention in women. So if you think about a menstrual cycle, a typical menstrual cycle, just prior to ovulation, estrogen and luteinizing hormone levels surge, which can actually cause women to feel quite bloated right before they ovulate and as a result of fluid, fluid retention. Then estrogen levels decline immediately after ovulation, but then they begin to continue rising prior to our period. The second rise in the luteal phase um, of our cycle may also be a cause of fluid retention. So here's the thing about this. Don't be alarmed if this is something that you experience throughout your cycle. Bloating because of fluid retention is quite common and related to the cyclical nature of our hormones. So that's, that's a good thing. That means that your hormones are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Here's another little side note. I have kind of anecdotally found that some women who are on higher levels of estrogen birth control pills experience an increase in water retention as well. Bloating, breast tenderness, and just like enlarged breasts because of water retention, their hands are puffy. Um, This is my two cents. If you are on 35 micrograms of estrogen in your birth control pill, it is absolutely worth talking to your doctor about dropping that down for a number of reasons. But decreasing the dosage um, certainly won't impact the efficacy of the contraception, and it's actually a lot safer um, and much less fraught with side effects. So if you're on 35 micrograms and you can drop down a little bit, I would highly recommend it. 20 microgram birth control pills are, are my favorite. I like to start really, really low and slow. Um, and go up slowly if we have to. So here are ways to combat fluid retention from estrogen. Seek out high foods, foods high in potassium and water. Think bananas, oranges, cantaloupe, honeydew, apricots, grapefruit, 
prunes, raisins, dates. Those are high in potassium as well. Cooked spinach, cooked broccoli. The reason I say cooked is because raw can sometimes cause gas production. So cook those broccolis, cook cook that spinach, um, cooked sweet potatoes, mushrooms, peas. Cucumbers is a great one. Uh, Number two, limit your salt and your processed food intake. Number three, increase your magnesium intake. Certainly in foods like dark chocolate, avocado, nuts, legumes, leafy greens, seeds. I, I also recommend considering a magnesium supplement if you if this is something that you really struggle with. If you find yourself more constipated, try magnesium citrate. Otherwise, if you find yourself more bloated and anxious prior to your periods, try magnesium glycinate. And you can take this daily or just in the days leading up to ovulation and just prior to your period when your bloat is at its height. (laughs) And then the last one is reduce your alcohol intake. Alcohol dehydrates our bodies. And so when the body is dehydrated, skin and vital organs try to hold on to as much water as possible. And that can lead to puffiness in the face and bloating in the belly. So I definitely recommend reducing your alcohol alcohol intake, especially during this, you know, these parts of your cycle or just really, really hydrating and adding some electrolytes into your hydration regimen. Okay, so we talked about hormones, estrogen particularly. We're going to talk about progesterone in the constipation section because progesterone tends to slow our gut motility. So estrogen is a little different. It causes water retention. Progesterone, a little bit more constipation. Number two, cause of bloating, carbonated drinks. Yep. That cute LaCroix that you love after work might be wreaking havoc on your belly. Now, listen, I love carbonated drinks, but the carbonation comes from gas blended with water. So when you drink a carbonated beverage, the gas can puff out your stomach. And if you're drinking a high amount of carbonated beverages, even those, quote, healthy ones and are experiencing bloating, I would definitely cut them out and see if you notice a difference. Uh, A lot of people like carbonated beverages because it's a great way to hydrate without just straight up drinking water. I recommend drinking water and adding lemon, you know, a little bit of monk fruit, something like that, just so if you have trouble drinking just plain straight up water. Okay, number three. This is a common one that that often gets kind of missed. It's a common one I see in women. Um... And that is lack of enough protein. Now, this is, here's the thing about protein. Their severe protein deficiencies are are much more rare in our country because a lot of foods we do, if you have a balanced diet, you typically get enough protein to survive, right? Uh, But women, we women are so afraid that protein is going to cause us to gain weight. And I'm going to be honest. The opposite is what's true. Now, like I said, in developed countries, severe protein deficiency is very rare. Um, so low, and and here's the thing too: most of us are, like I said, getting sufficient amount of protein to keep us going. But low amounts of human serum albumin, 
which is the most abundant protein in the liquid part of blood or blood plasma. Um, Its main function is to maintain oncotic pressure. So oncotic pressure is a force that draws fluid into the blood circulation. So in this way, albumin prevents excessive amounts of fluid from just accumulating in our other, in our tissues or body compartments. We call those, um, we call that interstitial fluid. Now, because of reduced human serum albumin levels, severe protein deficiency can lead to lower oncotic pressure. Um, And as a result, fluid accumulates in tissues and causes swelling. And for the same reason, protein deficiency may lead to a fluid buildup inside the abdominal cavity. Now, like I said, severe protein deficiency is rare, but a lot of women are not incorporating enough protein into their diet. And so a little bit of bloating, not like you see on on TV with malnourished children in um, third world countries, but just discomfort, uncomfortable bloating. Think about your diet. Think about your protein intake because that truly might play a role. Uh, You know, other signs that you might not be getting enough protein could be muscle wasting, like you're just not building muscle, hair loss, faded hair color, brittle nails, irritability, increased frequency and severity of infections. Those are all things that may indicate "Mm, my protein's just not quite high enough. So I recommend to combat this, try to get a complete protein in every meal. You know, if you're eating three meals a day, make sure that you are getting a good serving of complete protein. And that could be a meat. A meat is a complete protein. Or if you are a vegetarian or a vegan, a grain combined with a legume. So think beans and rice, chickpeas and quinoa, that is also a complete protein. And then, you know, getting enough calories throughout the day and incorporating protein, whether that be in a smoothie with walnuts or protein powder, or whether that be, um, you know, a boiled egg in the afternoon, things like that, just to incorporate your, to increase your protein levels can be very beneficial. Moving on, number four. Okay, this one is simple and it makes sense, but gas, right? There are other things that produce gas that uh, aren't carbonated beverages. So I wanted to talk about this because gas, a lot of people don't really realize, oh, what's causing my gas? Well, obviously carbonated beverages, chewing lots of gum, eating or drinking too fast, My mama always told us to chew our food slowly. And I used to think it was because of choking, but hey, it also might make me less gassy. So it's a win-win. Smoking. Smoking is another huge gas producer. Uh, Y'all, it is 2021. For Pete's sake, if you are still smoking, please stop. It's so bad for you. (laughs) But gas. Gas is another big component of bloating. We talked about water retention. Gas is another one. Certain foods, and we're going to talk about that. There are certain foods that can also produce gas in our gut. Like I said, stay tuned. We're going to get to that in a second. Number five, other reproductive tract issues in women. So things like endometriosis, ovarian cysts, fibroids, 
here's here here's a little kind of rule of thumb. If your periods are excruciatingly painful or you're having pelvic pain on one side for longer than two weeks, intercourse is really painful in your lower abdomen, or your periods are very heavy, you're soaking more than a pad an hour, or you're bleeding between your periods, please go see your OBGYN. They will likely start by checking an ultrasound and ruling out, you know, things like a cyst, things like a fibroid. Um, Endometriosis is not always seen on an ultrasound, but a lot of times we can see clues to endometriosis on an ultrasound. Um, Not always, but sometimes. There are ways to combat that. Sometimes, you know, medical treat medications, sometimes surgical interventions, sometimes, um, you know, lifestyle changes, but usually those are treated with intervention, some, some type of medical intervention. All right, this one's interesting, and I really like this one. This one's a lot of people don't know about this. Number six, have you guys ever heard of something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO, S-I-B-O? So most healthy people have relatively few bacteria in the small intestine. But people who have had intestinal surgery or IBS with diarrhea especially are much more likely to have SIBO. And this can cause a lot of bloating. And this is, SIBO is typically diagnosed by history and physical and a breath test. The gold standard of diagnosis is something called a small intestine aspirate and fluid culture. Um, You know, that's maybe not quite as readily done. Um, Doctors will obtain fluid. and by passing a long flexible tube and endoscope down the throat and through the upper digestive tract to the small intestine. And a sample of the intestinal fluid is withdrawn and then tested in a lab for the growth of bacteria. Anyway, this is often treated with addressing any underlying cause. And sometimes potentially patients undergo a course of antibiotics and nutritional support to get that gut bacteria that overgrowth of not good gut bacteria down and promote healthy bacteria growth. Okay, we're almost there. Number seven, these are the foods. This is when I wanted to talk about foods. So there are other foods that um, can commonly cause bloating, and we are all different. We all have different intolerances. So common foods that might cause irritation and bloating for women include dairy. These are the most common that I see and that I experience myself. (laughs) Dairy, gluten, raw veggies, fermented foods, and greasy foods. Raw veggies is one a lot of people are like, but that's so healthy. It absolutely is. But raw veggies tend to produce more gas. They're really, really, really high in fiber, which is excellent. But they can certainly, if we're not used to eating raw veggies, regularly, like on a daily basis, a lot of them, and sometimes even if we are, they're certainly capable of causing a lot of bloating, a lot of gas. So here's the fun little approach that I love to talk about with some some of my patients. So the first line of treatment for preventing gas and bloating typically is changing your diet. This is stuff that you can just do at home for free, F-R-E-E. Um, 
And research has shown that something called a low FODMAP diet, so low FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols, FODMAP. So a low FODMAP diet can reduce the symptoms of gas and IBS and obviously bloating. So typically, in general, a low FODMAP avoids fermentable gas-producing food ingredients. I'm going to dive into this for a second because this is something that if you are experiencing bloating, this is like something that you can easily do at home and try um, kind of as a process of elimination. But oligosaccharides, these are found in wheat, onions, garlic, legumes, and beans. Disaccharides, which is found in lactose and milk, yogurt, ice cream, dairy. Monosaccharides, this is a type of sugar. Um, This is usually fructose found in things like honey, apples, and pears. Um, And then polyols, these are sugar alcohols found in cauliflower, chewing gum, candy, certain other things like apricots and nectarines. So the small intestine doesn't always, the reason why this is sometimes helpful is because our small intestine doesn't always fully support these types of carbohydrates. And instead, they just pass them on to the colon where they then ferment, they're fermented by bacteria and they produce gas. So Not everybody gets gas and bloating from every FODMAP food, but what I typically recommend is start by cutting out FODMAP foods altogether, and you can look this up, you can Google this and you'll see it, Um, cutting them out altogether and then for several weeks, maybe, you know, even a month, and then slowly bringing them back into your diet one at a time, and this helps you pinpoint problem foods. Sometimes just cutting out dairy for a little bit and just seeing if that helps. Um, You know, I'm not against dairy. I just know that a lot of women struggle with bloating and constipation and just GI discomfort from it. And it's worth, you know, ruling it out. So yeah, that's a, a FODMAP recommendation. Okay, last but not least, number eight. This is kind of an overarching one because there are multiple other causes of bloating that I did not cover today. Medical conditions like IBS, Crohn's disease, celiac disease, gastroparesis, those are a little more intense. Those are ones that I hope to cover with an actual GI pro, a gastrointestinal, maybe a gastroenterologist um, in a later episode. So we that's why I didn't want to cover that today. Um, certain medications like painkillers, antacids, aspirin, that can cause bloating. And stress. Stress is another major cause of bloating. There's that mind-gut connection. I'm telling you, it's real. I could just go on and on about this, y'all. <laughs> but I hope that the point is clear that we just, we can't prevent bloating altogether 100% all of our days. But pinpointing triggers and combating them or avoiding them when we can will truly make a difference and totally improve how we generally feel. I know when I feel bloated, I'm uncomfortable. I don't sleep good. Well, I'm irritable, you know, all those things. And even small baby changes 
and my diet and lifestyle have made a huge difference and paid dividends. And I know same could go for you. All right, friends, that is a wrap. (laughs) I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode on bloating. I hope it's been a little bit helpful, a little bit informative. We're going to dive into constipation next time. Also, I just want to say thank you so much for following along today, for sharing our podcast episodes with your friends on your Instagrams, for subscribing and rating because that is, I say this all the time, but that's how we continue to grow and get the word out. And also, I just love getting to meet so many of you on Instagram. That's really my only social media platform right now because I just don't have time for all these other things at this point in life. So follow us on Instagram at the Women's Health Company. Come say hello. Drop into my DMs. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear any requests or recommendations that you have. And until next time, be well. Talk soon.